0: This episode is brought to you by Cold Storage Coins, the easiest way to own Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies.
1: G'day Altcoin Army. This is the Altcoin Buzz podcast with your host Leisha, Matt and James. We've got a very special episode today. We're going to have a guest, David Freuden, who we'll be talking to later on in this episode. We're just going to get stuck straight into the news. We've got an article on our website, altcoinbuzz.io, by Alicia, in regards to Russia. Leisha, take it away
2: yeah well russia is back so to speak and uh <laughs> you know that
1: Didn't it's always it was it, gone
2: yeah exactly but it's um i don't know it's prominent once again and anyway the russian central bank will uh, well basically will control the crypto market uh, another top official confirmed this during uh, the first blockchain conference in its federation council it's being hosted in moscow this week and uh what's really interesting is that like russia has been paying lots of attention to cryptocurrency lately and recently they. Adopted a law uh, was a, like a digital uh, digital currency law, and it contains lots of provisions. And it also states that the Russian Central Bank will indeed control the cryptocurrency. So it shows that as much as their government is willing actually to adopt the technologies and everything, but they still want to have the final say. And it was funny because this uh, guy Sergei Kalashnikov. Uh, He is, uh, well, I mean, he's a big shot, obviously, and uh, he kind of like, you know, when he was talking about the fact that the central bank will um, control this cryptocurrency, he was like really sarcastic about central bank. I didn't understand why. He was like, oh, well, you know, it would have been better if another agency did it. But since they are... They have this, um, it's not the central bank who should be controlling it, but other agencies. And uh, yeah, there's also like other speakers during this conference, and everyone is trying to promote Russia in this world, in this uh, blockchain world, but I don't know how far they will go, actually, if they will, you know, always tend to have the final say. So what about Matt? What does he have to tell us today?
0: It's a big statement. I mean, for anybody in any official capacity to come out and say, yeah, we're going to dominate the cryptocurrency market, that's uh, that means something. That carries some weight to it. Um, you know, for those listeners that have been following the news, Russia has been in the news a lot lately. The finance minister has had a lot to say about cryptocurrency. Their central bank has weighed in. They've released. Um, a report recently highlighting sort of um, their perspective on on the market, all kinds of details and that we all know that Vladimir Putin has weighed in on this. He's somewhat echoed the sentiments of the Chinese president and talked about how, look, blockchain is important. It, it, it should and it will be a focus for us going forward. So I do take this with a grain of salt. I think there's a lot of bluster in the comments. Nobody's going to control the crypto market, like just just by virtue of its design. That's not really something that's possible. But are they going to invest in the technologies? Are they going to support rather than punish those people, those Russians that want to get in on the space? Yeah, it sounds like they're they're very enthusiastic about it. So I think they're going to be increasingly creating for themselves this sort of reputation as as a, as a really interested as an invested player uh, geopolitically so it's um i i think it's a cool story to follow and you know we're gonna have to see how some of the other nations of the world respond china's been a little bit ambivalent the us has been i, I don't know a little bit uh i wouldn't i wouldn't go so far as to call them anti-crypto but they've certainly put up some defenses against uh, the market so This is just a big statement as I see it. It's going to be interesting to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, definitely. What do you think, James? Look, if if Russia gets really bullish on on cryptocurrency as a whole and they don't heavily restrict it the way that other countries like China or the US has, it would be an absolute massive thing for the entire world to follow because, because Russia is a powerhouse, just like China is a powerhouse and the US is a powerhouse. Those three countries, if they if they can get on board, one of them has to one of them has to really get on board with this cryptocurrency because it's not going away. And if if Russia continues being positive in the news the way that it is, all the fud that we've been getting over the last couple of months is is slowly going to be shoved under the carpet. Definitely, yeah, James, I think
0: you're absolutely right, and uh, I, I think that could spell out a positive move for the future of crypto. And there's other stuff happening in the space. I'm sure you guys have heard about. What I view as maybe the biggest um, institutional news of the week is Fidelity Investments now is coming out and they're saying that they want to be a part of the space. So for our, let's say, American or North American listeners and viewers, Fidelity is, is a real powerhouse. In, in the field of investments. And they handle a portfolio of about $2.4 trillion. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, look, it's still unconfirmed. It's a bit of a rumor, but what you have here is an internal memo that was leaked. And I'll quote it just so we're all on the same page. But what they're saying is that and this is courtesy of uh, Business Insider, the original uh, reporting. So they're looking for somebody to help, quote, engineer, create and deploy a digital asset exchange to both a public and private cloud. So there's not really too many ways you can you can cut that apart and uh, dissect it because it looks like they are looking to enter the crypto space. There has been a lot of. I suppose demand on the part of the clients and demand for people that are are looking to get into crypto. And I think fidelity is one of those organizations that could be a gateway drug, because if you have existing assets, existing investments with fidelity and you want to make the move into crypto, that's an avenue that you may not otherwise, you know, have available to you in, in other spaces. So this could really be as far as not the institutional investors. But as far as the casual, the private investors, the, the consumers that are just using Fidelity on a more regular basis, this could be a big move in terms of the herd rushing into the space if, if they make it easy, if they make it uh, functionally convenient. So for those reasons, it strikes me as pretty big news. Uh, that's my take. Uh, I, I don't know, James, what do you think about this story?
1: I think that it's, it's definitely something that needs to happen. We've got a lot of people out there and look, I'm I'm a lazy person majority of people are in these days especially when life is as busy as it is there are a lot of people that want to get into the crypto space but really can't be asked going through the hassle of learning how to do it so fidelity allows for a community of people that would like to get into community into this space but not know how. If they can make it really simple for them and do all the legwork for them, we're going to see a mass rush of money come into this space that otherwise wouldn't be in this space.
0: Definitely, and I, you know, I think it's it's not going to be the biggest factor in terms of like quantifiable money coming in because I, I think that's more, you know, the the role of the investment houses and and the Goldman Sachs of the world. But like I said, if you have this asset management company that's that's very well reputed that has a good pedigree and they have many many clients that may be interested or maybe turned on to the idea of crypto just that sort of that that the recognition of their demand by some of the more institutional players is going to be a big deal and if even if they're not themselves moving the money just the buzz just the discussion just the the public sentiment shift towards an exploration, sort of a tinkering with crypto on their part. I think that's going to be really valuable. And then hopefully as a response to that, the big money will follow. So it it may be the kind of thing that's um, a leading indicator of eventual investment in terms of, of the really big boys. And I'm just hoping it's going to get the buzz started. It's going to get people having new discussions about crypto, maybe even some of the boomers, for example, that are already lined up with their own portfolios with Fidelity. It'll get new people on board, like you're saying. And exactly as you said, James, that that new wave, I think, has a lot of potential. So that's what I'm hoping to see out of this.
1: This could be a small pebble that turns into a big ripple. You know, so it's exactly. Yeah, it's the beginning of something that could hopefully snowball, which is good. All right, guys, that was it for the news. It's been a very uh, short segment today because we're going to be jumping straight into the interview with David Freuden. So without further ado. David Freuden, another fellow Aussie, but on the other side of the country. How are you, David? Hey, Doing well. Thanks
3: for welcoming me, James.
1: Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, Look, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to interrogate you. All right. So we've got a bunch of probing questions for you, so hopefully you can answer yeah. them and not look ridiculous across the internet. You reckon you're up for the challenge? Uh, I was
3: feeling confident
1: until that line, but I'll give it my best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll start simple for you. Can you uh, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into crypto? Yeah,
3: um, I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur. I've been playing uh, in the tech space for the last seven years now. Uh, both launching a few of my own companies as well as being a mentor and an investor in a few others. And about it'd be about a year and a half ago, I started getting into crypto whilst I was living in Europe, in Barcelona, and became an early investor in Zinfin when I first heard about it, I think around June or July last year. Um, and I've been playing in and out of crypto and lots of cryptos since then. So almost just over a year of being an active investor and about... Close to two years in being across it, trying to figure out what it actually is and how that will work in the the world that I've come from in tech and tourism.
1: Fantastic. So you're pretty bullish on the market. Well, what's your take on the current uh, on the current market at the moment? Obviously, we had that massive spike at the uh, the end of December, and there was there was news on it everywhere, and we had investors coming through the door like there was no tomorrow. But uh, ob- obviously, the market's gone down heavily since then. Uh, what, what's your what's your take on the market? Do you think this is a bit of price manipulation? And, and what's what's your kind of predictions for the end of this year? Ah, oh, wow! Um, you know we're Aussies; we believe in the gold rush. It's what
3: what created country? Yeah, bloody. Hell. Um, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm bullish. Um, look, I'm definitely bullish from the price side, but I'm more bullish about the tech side, and the price will follow the tech. And I'm bullish because I think we're super, super early days. And I think what people are discovering, there's so many crazy ICOs coming onto the space, which can only happen because the tech that supports it exists. And all of that excellent tech is helping have an impact on prices. So I think we've got a long way to go price-wise. You know, is there manipulation? I'm not that smart to figure that out. I just know that I look at everything very long-term and in trends. Not in Polaroid photos of now Moon, now Lambo. It's more where will we be in a year, two years? What will the tech look like? How will that impact from an investor perspective as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I completely agree with you on that, Mark, but uh, just, just out of curiosity, what color would your Lambo be if, uh, if you made that leap tomorrow, what would what what colour Lambo would you get?
3: Ah, uh, you know, I'm actually a two wheel guy, so I'd probably buy myself uh, another scooter. You know, a scooter. It's, it's I'm not, not cars. I, I've preferred helicopters and motorbikes
1: and things like that. Oh, so just just a casual helicopter every now and again. But but let me get this right. If you had the money to buy a Lamborghini, you're going to go out and buy a moped. Is that? Yeah, pretty much. You know?
2: That doesn't
1: make any sense. Yeah. No, no, not not real. This is a man, obviously, quite modest. You know, he just cra- casually drives on his scooter and then boards a helicopter. <laughs> so he's he's got his priorities set. Yeah. yeah. Just not, look, I, I love the motivation
3: of when Lambo went moon. It's awesome. What what underpins it, I think, is hilarious. Um, if these guys 10X tomorrow, they probably wouldn't sell thinking it would do 100X.
1: And it's like, well, come on, guys, you just mooned. Well, the um, grade. It's great, it's great, isn't it? Great is the uh, the killer of all mankind. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, a Land Rover guy, so I wouldn't go for that. But if I did get my ideal vehicle, it would probably be race car green. Race car green. Ooh, I like the. Uh, that's yeah. that's a different one. Most people go with with blue or red because it goes faster. I think. That's why I get the best. But I'm not worried about
3: going faster.
1: It's good.
2: Sure. I would like to ask more about the hybrid blockchain itself, uh, the article which was published uh, on Altcoin Buzz. Tell us more about it. So
3: my approach to writing about hybrid blockchain is I'm not a techie, so I look at things from a business perspective. I come going, who would the customer be to come into blockchain and what is their user case? And when I look at a lot of the public blockchains and then I look at, well, the biggest opportunities are enterprise, government, financial institutions, biologistics, what is their user case that would bring them into blockchain? And the first logical is private blockchain, not public, because for them, they're used to control and they're not about to relinquish control on a massive leap to public immediately, maybe in three, four years, maybe quicker, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. So I look at what is their, they have an opportunity, huge opportunity with blockchain, but for them to get towards blockchain, what's their first step and their user case? And what came out of that was hybrid blockchain, which is the best of private blockchain, but it also taps into what's the most valuable part of public blockchain, the decentralisation, the verification, the ability to have um The information timestamp from the public, so that it can't be changed and it becomes immutable. And that was the view that I took looking into hybrid blockchain. What does it offer that meets enterprise's user case, but also gives them the benefit of public blockchain? And it's really that hybrid mix. And I think there's going to be a huge growth and adoption of hybrid, not just as public, but opportunities coming to hybrid. But Private blockchain come into hybrid as well.
2: Maybe you like uh, maybe you could give us like a, well, because uh, before you join our conversation, James uh, was speculating as to how it works. <laughs> throw
1: me under the bus. I see how it works. <laughs> just because I'm just because I'm a sandgroper Aussie, you know. Back from, you know, just because I'm a colonial doesn't mean that you can throw me under the bus. <laughs>
2: No, come on. And so what I meant. But I mean, like, we are not sure yet how exactly it functions. Maybe you could, like, give us a specific case of how it functions. I
1: think what is trying to say is, look, I'm stupid. So I need, you know, grade no. three referencing on this. So if you can try to explain this in a grade three kind of sense, maybe I might understand it. <laughs> I'll I'll give you
3: two examples. I'll give you one, um, not so much an example, but in its most simplistic form. When I started doing research on it, I was really fortunate to go to a talk, a presentation by Dr. Scott Stornetta. Him and his partner at the time, Stuart harbor they're the guys that invented digital time stamping. And when they were doing this, this was 1991, so what, 18 years before Bitcoin was created and blockchain. And their goal was to find a way to verify that something was put on a private database that wouldn't be changed. So right now in every office, you've got your database systems for payroll. How do I know that I've paid that salary and that information won't be changed? So they created um, the ability to digital timestamp. And their aha moment, if you like, was taking the philosophy of the best way to protect something is if everybody sees it. So let the world be your witness. So decentralised timestamping allows, through public blockchain, allows everybody to see that this event happened. It doesn't mean they've seen what's in the event, but they've seen that the events happen. So to look at that from an example, um, Supply Logistics, which is a, a big avenue for Zinfin and their partner Ramco, they have clients who specifically want to see what is the opportunity with the excess storage facilities we have in in our warehouse or on shipping or in transport, that we can actually make that transport capacity available to other people. So they use private blockchain to be able to deal with each other and within their own networks to say we've got 30% capacity available or 10% capacity. Here's our different pricing for different customers. That's all private. But what they send out to the public through the public blockchain is the ability to verify that this information is correct. But it also allows people publicly outside the network, if they choose to, to see what's available so that they can start filling in that extra capacity that they've got available from supply logistics. Does that kind of make
1: sense? Yeah, no, it makes it makes fantastic sense. I, I guess another way of um, putting it with, is, is in a financial sense kind of example would be if I was to send you $50, it, it, privately, you and I know the amount of value that went into the transaction, but the record that the transaction yeah. took place is what's public and can be verified to make sure that there's nothing dodgy going on, basically. Is that yeah. about right? You're much more articulate than me, so <laughs> thank you. I've, I've been sitting here taking what you've said, and I've, I've just thought, how would I explain this to me?
3: <laughs> and you've done a really good job. Look, if, if, look, with the example of supply logistics and excess capacity, um, I was thinking about it earlier tonight, and when I recently took a flight overseas, I ended up code sharing So I purchased a ticket with Emirates. I paid Emirates, but when I bought it a plane, it was Qantas. And it's the same opportunity supply logistics. I've got this excess capacity. It's not being used. Why should another freight carrier replicate not being at full capacity when they can move their stock onto our vehicle to move it from A to B? So they're the problems we're solving from a user case. It's exactly the same as co-sharing. We've got capacity here. I don't need to double up on a plane. I can still service my customer. I'm just using another vehicle for transport. Yeah. Look, it's one of the benefits. And with supply logistics, you're also removing a lot of middlemen. There's so many benefits in the supply logistic part for blockchain. It's one of the larger areas for adoption because there's so much cost saving, excuse me, as well as so much revenue opportunity in generating as well by removing waste um, or such as excess capacity. So blockchain is a really big adoption there. And hybrid is a great solution for that because you couldn't do the scale of supply logistics on a public blockchain, you'll get to a point where so much is happening, you're going to have to move, you're going to have to do some off-chain or find another solution for the scalability. So hybrid addresses that because you get all the speed, all the transaction speed, all the quantum of data, plus you get to keep private what you want to keep private and only validate what you want to validate. David, it sounds like the best of both worlds. And to whatever
0: extent that businesses can, you know, can tailor it to their specifications, I think that's a a big advantage. Are there applications beyond the world of supply logistics? Like you mentioned that this may be the right solution for certain enterprises, perhaps maybe they're in finance, or maybe they're uh, governmental organizations. What are some examples of maybe um, some other applications that Businesses may want to use as far as hybrid blockchain. And then for our viewers that may not be familiar, um, you mentioned that Sinfin is in the business of supply logistics. I'm thinking maybe you can um, go into more details about what you do there and what Synfin is all about.
3: Sure. Um, so, Synfin, just to clarify, they're not in supply logistics. What Synfin is, they're the guys who invented the hybrid blockchain. And it's a um, it's a platform that's not a specific vertical, but it's agnostic, so it works across all verticals. One of Zinfin's partners is Ramco. Ramco, if you can jump online and research it yourself, ramco.com. They're a publicly listed company. They're a conglomerate worth over a billion dollars. They're the supply logistics company, and Zinfin provide the technology at the back end for their blockchain. So a few weeks ago, I was part of a webinar with Ramco and Ramco's customers about how can they adopt blockchain into their supply logistics. So that's one example of Ramco using an agnostic platform of Zinfin, which is hybrid, to provide supply logistics. Other examples are Zinfin have launched a a DAP called Tradefinex. So Tradefinex is a trade and finance platform, and it allows governments and mainly governments to outsource large projects for funding. So to give you an example, in Australia back in the 1957, just before the 60s, one of our iconic landmarks is the Opera House and our government didn't have the money to fund it back then. So they held a lottery to raise money to pay to get the Opera House built. Since then, we've become a lot more sophisticated. We have banks like Macquarie Bank and publicly listed companies who invest in a lot of infrastructure projects. But there's lots of... Countries that need infrastructure built that don't have the resources. So, TradeFinex solves that problem. It creates a platform where the government will log on and say, We need to have a solar panel um, solution for electricity, we need a hydro dam, we want to build a hospital, we need resources for energy waste or for roads. And then, finances all around the world who are registered with TradeFinex. For example, Macquarie Bank is a big Australian investment firm that invests specifically in infrastructure. Uh, the investment fund do, infrastructure fund does. They could use that platform and go, we want to fund that infrastructure. So Tradefinex uses the hybrid blockchain as the backbone to help crowdsource funding from investors for government infrastructure projects. And then that platform allows the government as well as the investors to have total transparency on every single payment that goes to the suppliers to build that infrastructure and also to check their own repayments from the investment that they've made. So we're seeing um, global trade and finance, and the big thing there is that we're talking about cross-border payments, we're talking about transparency of transactions, we're looking at smart contracts that are integrated through all of it. so we're removing a lot of middlemen and a lot of layers of complexity And we're also allowing direct um, visibility, if you like, with the suppliers, even from the investor end, to know who's being paid what, when, and what the service is. So that's another application that it's being used for. Um, They're also looking at um, factoring is a really big business. Factoring is when you have a business that has a cash flow timing lag. So for example, in Australia, the pharmaceutical industry with um, chemists, uh, pharmacies, So they use factoring a lot where they may get a whole bunch of goods delivered on 60-day terms, but the producer, the manufacturer needs cash flow. So they'll go to a factoring company who will buy that invoice off them and they'll provide that cash up front and they take a fee for that. So Zinfine, again, as a hybrid platform, allows all of those transactions to happen privately in regards to the amount of money, what what it's for, who are all the parties involved, but the hybrid part that integrates with the public blockchain
0: can verify those transactions are happening. That certainly is very impressive. And it sounds like Synfin is solving a lot of real world use cases as far as needs, as far as satisfying some of the incentives out there.
3: Yeah, definitely. And there are also big problems to solve. You know, I love hearing the story about when can I buy a hamburger with blockchain. And <laughs> I think it's great. like I want to pay for a burger with Bitcoin. The, the, the bigger problem, and I think a better question, is how much blockchain is used, of course it's my phone, <laughs> how, much um, how much blockchain was used to get that hamburger to me to buy. So we're, we're seeing agriculture and farming right, right. on the blockchain. We're seeing supply logistics being put on the blockchain. We're seeing, inter- not just supply logistics across country, but also within companies themselves using blockchain internally for solutions, especially multinationals. So the question at the very beginning is how bullish am I on the market? I can see blockchain being adapted more and more by corporations, especially multinationals that have cross-border challenges, but also in larger corporations where there's so many moving parts and they're needing transparency.
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, this this is definitely solving the big issues that I think a lot of companies are facing today. The technology's never really been there. We're, we're, we're at this point in in history, I suppose, of, of extreme advancement. When the internet first came out, no one really took the internet as seriously as it did. People were still writing everything down. Um, it was just an absolute pain in the backside for a lot of companies. And a, a lot of people didn't understand it now, but the conversation that we're having now is due to the internet. In, in five to 10 years time, you're talking about buying you know a ham- a hamburger or, or whatever from from maccas um you know if if you go down five <laughs> years from now every Maccas around the world and for for the audience it's not australian maccas is mcdonald's okay so, so let's like, i was about that? to ask yeah and, and <laughs> burger king is hungry jacks over here you want to know why because we're <laughs> australia so it's <laughs> it's that's just how we roll over here but but look, Macs and and Burger King in a couple of years' time will be advertising Bitcoin as a form of payment. You've got places, you know, there are places on the internet right now that you're able to buy houses and cars. Um, there was an article that was uh, that came out not too long ago about a, a woman out there who actually has created a business using Bitcoin to buy buy people cars and houses and whatnot. <laughs> And this hybrid technology, if it can grow well beyond the agricultural, beyond the logistics, th- this could solve problems even for simple things like say for instance purchases on iTunes. Um, you know it, it could it could definitely delve into every form of financial situation that we can think of. So I suppose when you say that you're quite bullish, listening to you explain it the way that you have. This, this is just more positive reinforcement that the world needs crypto and it needs the blockchain technology. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's important to realise as well that the public the
3: public blockchain is really important. Hybrid works because it has private and public and you really do need the public blockchain. We're seeing private blockchains and I, I mentioned it in my article and um, threw a quote in it, which of course I won't remember, i have like to grab it, where you've even got the CTO of Ripple saying that hybrid blockchain will be the way of the future. You've got people from major banks about the value of how much more security you have when you have a hybrid blockchain because it allows the public blockchain decentralized verification of those transactions, which takes away so many layers of potential fraud. It takes away the intermediary that you need of trust. You don't have to go, well, do I trust you? I hope I trust you. Um, public blockchain takes all of that away. And hybrid gives you the benefits of both. And it's really important to be able to benefit from the whole system. Again, from my perspective, what makes a massive corporation spending hundreds of millions of dollars want to move to the blockchain? Their safest, least risk first step is private blockchain. But the next step is hybrid. And one day when public blockchain can solve all the scalability issues and other concerns, they'll head down that way, but the first step and take them into a hybrid solution.
2: Hmm. I would like to ask, uh, well, I mean, like, you've advertised the technology pretty well, so, I mean, like, it can be uh, applied almost to anything, but maybe there are some, like, some cases when it shouldn't be applied? What do you think?
3: Oh, absolutely. There's, uh, the, the, there's, there's ICOs popping up trying to solve, the, there are so many solutions that don't have a problem. They exist in every business, people open a restaurant, that, that you just don't need that one extra one. Um, there's always solutions that don't have problems that they're addressing. Blockchain is no different to that. We are really, really early days in blockchain and I think the most obvious pain points are the larger ones where it's saving millions of dollars and help removing lots and lots of friction. There's lots of ideas that are great but it doesn't mean blockchain is the technology is the right solution. There could be much easier, cheaper, faster solutions and people are jumping onto blockchain. And look, in three, four years' time, that may that situation may change. But I think they estimate less than 1% of the world have blockchain. I think that's uh, Bitcoin or crypto. I think that's massively generous. Um, I think there's something like 30,000 wallets out there. It's not many at all. Um, plus all of the exchanges. So whatever those numbers are, they're really tiny. And until you get more uptake, how can blockchain solve all those problems? I, I just don't get it. So I'm with you on that. There's lots of things they don't address. Our focus is let's find what we can address and let's see how we can do that as, as um, easy as possible and help them on board. And make that work.
0: Now a quick word about our amazing sponsor, Cold Storage Coins. You can now store your cryptocurrencies on actual cold coins made of fine copper, silver, or gold. Each coin features a unique wallet ID and laser-etched private key which is concealed beneath a tamper-evident holographic film. You simply scan the QR code on the back in order to transfer your funds to the coin. There's no hardware associated with these wallets and they are hack and fireproof. This is a very fun, safe, and inexpensive way to store cryptocurrencies. Please visit coldstoragecoins.com for more and use our code BUZZ10, all capital letters, for a 10% discount. Now back to the podcast. So I have a, a question about what's next, what's the future, because in our coverage of your work, uh, David, you, know, you mentioned that the aha moment at the conference you attended when listening to uh, Mr. Stornetta was this idea of digital timestamping, right? And his work along with Dr. Habers was featured in, uh, of course, as we all know, Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper on Bitcoin, and that brings us all the way back to 1991. So that was, I mean, really a milestone in terms of new technology, in terms of something revolutionary that was suggested. So I'm curious to know your thoughts about what's next. And I mean, your default answer is probably gonna be hybrid blockchain, and I can't blame you for that. But uh, I, I, let's, let's try to go beyond. What do you think is, is the next innovation or the next big frontier um, and perhaps the next milestone that you see a need for in the next five or 10 years or further? Just curious to, uh, to pick your brain on this issue.
3: Um, I'll go backwards uh, for a second before I go forwards. The, the, the aha moment I was relating to, the letting the world be your witness, isn't my aha moment. It was um, Scott's um, letter that he shared with everyone on stage. I mean, these guys were so ahead of their time to be able to come up with stuff like this back in the 90s, well before even the blockchain construct. Um, When I take what I've I've learned from all the research I've done from that moment and where I see the place now, I think the most important stage we're at now is actually adoption and being Mm. able to take easier and easier onboarding for corporations to start moving into blockchain. Mm. The easier we can make it for them to onboard the safer we can make smart contracts and the easier they are to use then we're going to see a huge movement um not just from the huge big corporations but starting to come down to smaller ones as well because it'll lower the cost it'll make it more accessible for everybody so i think in the next few years that's the most important adaption is how do we get these large corporations using hybrid blockchain coming on board with zinfin and other other blockchains as well um in the long run, where do I see the next biggest development? Um, I think really it's making sure that we maintain security whilst having scalability and addressing those sometimes conflicting issues. How do we get the speed, how do we get the blockchain to take more and more data but still staying as stable and secure as it is? Great, thank you. No worries. It's all you have to
0: say, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could. That would be nice. I mean, we want to see <laughs> the space continue to grow. We want to see uh, added security at the same time, and that is the conflict. So, I'd like to see the very exactly the same thing. Definitely, yeah.
3: there's going to be so great about this space is innovation. I mean, people are coming up with applications that they can do with blockchain, which is just mind blowing. I look at to go back to earlier, James when you were talking about how the internet has changed behavior for everybody. And if you go back, that we had the intranet and then the internet. And mm. people on the intranet weren't really ready for internet, but then they realised they had to go to the internet. And it's, it's really the same with blockchain. We're seeing the most incredible innovation. Who would have thought about buying shoes on the internet from another country to be shipped to you 15, 20 years ago? It just wouldn't have happened. But the creativity as well, it's just fabulous.
1: Yeah, the, the technology um, with blockchain, like you said, what, what we've all said... This, this is early days and, and getting it into the corporations, as much as you're an investor, I'm an investor, Matt and Leish are investors, and everyone listening to this is an investor, we're not Fortune 500 billion dollar companies that can really, really drive this. We, we can put the technology in front of them just like the people did when, when the internet first happened. Um, these people, you know, try to get all the companies to sign over to the internet and, the, and they're all hesitant because, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, bureaucracy gets involved, and it just—it's a really slow grind. But if we can get these bigger corporations to to actually latch onto blockchain, the the advancements that are going to be made will be absolutely mind blowing. There are going to be jobs that are created that don't exist yet. And that's that's a really key thing. We were talking before in a number of articles, and and Jeff from Altcoin Buzz was talking about how there's uh, employment now in blockchain. When these corporations really get a hold of blockchain and they start utilizing it in their own business, the world's gonna change. The The jobs that are gonna be, that you're used to today won't exist because they're gonna be replaced by certain AI and technologies, but the future advancements are in blockchain and that's where the future's gonna be. Yeah,
3: but it's, it's, it's interesting going to the philosophy of it. I mean, you, I see how blockchain also leaked Leapfrogs nations. So, because there's so much incumbent technology in the first world, a lot of second and third worlds are adopting blockchain much, much quicker because they haven't got incumbents with vested interests who have something to lose when blockchain comes in to win. So, that means there's going to be a change of where is wealth, where is jobs, where are opportunities. So, we can look at poorer countries now that are needing infrastructure. So, for example, we're looking at signing a, a deal next week with Zipin for a major hydro dam. That's going to create humongous employment. Uh, sorry, humongous means heaps of employment um, in areas where there hasn't been that much employment because we're now having funds going into a third world country that wasn't before. So it's got a huge opportunity, not just within the worlds we live in, but to also leapfrog countries and to create more disparity of wealth as well, which I think is great.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's giving these people in third world countries an opportunity to live a life otherwise they wouldn't. And I think that, you know, this blockchain really is going to change the world for the better, not for the worse. Look, definitely Definitely.
3: agree. And um, again, it, it usually starts with the more innovative, larger enterprises coming on board at one end. And at the other end, the consumers demanding and wanting change through their own actions. It's the middle ground that's usually the last to move. You've got the big innovators and you've got the small innovators. And um, it's great to see those changes. We've already got lots of large corporations coming on. They're just not making the press yet. They're not ready to make the press yet. They don't want to be seen publicly as doing something maybe risky until it's already integrated. Blockchain's being adopted by larger corporations than we're aware of from from Amazon to Walmart, um, who are using it internally Um, to save, not just huge amounts of money, but to create transparency on how they operate. So, there's more happening than we're aware of from what the newspapers publish, and it'll be like waking up in a year's time going, wow, there's a lot of people on blockchain, and that's what's happening.
2: I actually have a question, I mean, like you were talking about governments, and uh, blockchain basically will, uh, to some extent, right, put out of jobs uh, lost people, right? Uh, So, maybe some governments will actually not be willing to advance this technology that much because it will cause certain social problems, social divisions?
3: Um, go- governments, uh, there is a double-edged sword. You know, our, our dealings with governments have been really positive. After a consensus a couple of weeks ago, um, the team from Zinifin met with um, the state of Delaware, with their government there, about integrating programs for their solar panel programs. They're also looking at putting publicly listed companies on the blockchain out of Delaware. So we're having discussions about that. So you've got proactive governments there. We've got proactive governments looking at infrastructure programs um, in New South Wales, who I meet with next week, um, other countries in Africa. So I think it depends on what is the application for the blockchain to decide what parts of it will they embrace and what parts will they not. I think there's a lot of fear over Bitcoin because it's, too decentralized, they can't have a sense of control, um, yet blockchain, different to Bitcoin, be it hybrid or even public or other private, opens up a lot more doors than it closes. I think there's just reluctance being too quick and too early, especially from a public perception that comes with it.
2: Yes. Agreed.
3: Maddie, do you want to finish it off with the last
0: question? Don't have anything else to add. I mean, it just, um, David, if there's anything that, that we haven't discussed or if there's something that you want to inject into the conversation, I, I think uh, I don't have any further questions unless my colleagues do. What have we missed? What What's the most important takeaway here to leave our viewers and our listeners with?
3: Look, for me, I think one of the, the most important takeaways is... The, the, we've got private blockchain we've got large financial institutions loving it because it gives them a sense of control we've got public blockchain which is creating transparency it's creating immutability it's creating verification of what's happened and um, zinfin with hybrid blockchain is trying to create that middle ground that allows enterprise to move in to the blockchain world that have been reluctant up until now and i think we're going to see that space grow more and more and more. So, yeah, we're going to end up with competitors, but it's going to grow the, the ecosystem, which hopefully will get more and more corporations and businesses into blockchain, creating more and more efficiencies, more opportunities, more jobs, mm-hmm. better technology.
1: All right, fantastic. Well, it was great having you on the show here, David. You've uh, definitely Thanks. taught us all a lot. Thank you. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lesa. Thanks, Matt.
3: Thank you.
0: Thanks so much. Great yeah. chatting. Well, guys it's uh, really interesting uh, insights that our guest was able to uh, provide so thanks to uh, to david it sounds like there's a lot of potential here because the way i see it is you have companies that are still opening their eyes waking up to blockchain in the first place and we're not talking about crypto necessarily but the underlying technology of blockchain and i think a lot of people maybe have a sense of it but not not in a in a deep way and so this idea you know, of of the hybrid blockchain, I think we're beginning, you know, and I'm talking about our team here, we're beginning to wrap our minds around it. But I think, as David was saying, the future is uh, so much in front of us. And there's so much potential that's yet to be uncovered here as people begin to tailor their blockchain necessities and requirements to something that's more of a hybrid model. I mean, I, I just see the potential as being massive, especially based on his comments. Uh, Lisa, what do you think about that?
2: I also think that I think that he explained the whole concept well, and uh, it will be like you know it will be understandable for most of our viewers, and that is very important. And I also think that he was quite a a funny guy, which is uh, which is always nice. It's always nice to have an intelligent and a funny person uh, interviewed. We should
1: say what do you think?
2: (laughs) 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 I think uh, like you know.
1: I think it's an honor to be on the show with you, James. Ah, uh, uh, you flat, flattery, flattery. I see how it. What do you want? My bank details, like you wanted Matt's last day, or the other day. <laughs> I'd like to thank David again for being on the show. I know he's not with us right now, but I want to thank him for being on the show. And uh, it was fantastic doing the show again with you, Leisha and Matt. I think uh, we we make a pretty good team.
2: Yeah,
1: we do. When Leisha's not trying joining. to get Pleasure, our bank guys. details. <laughs> lots of fun I'm
2: trying to but I'm failing
1: (laughs) better luck next time look for everybody listening out there you can uh, we're gonna upload this onto iTunes Spotify YouTube and our website altcoinbuzz.io we'd really love to get a review and a comment leave some suggestions down on what we should do on our next uh, next episode if there's anything you liked us to talk about until then we will catch you all later
0: The information discussed on the Altcoin Buzz YouTube, Altcoin Buzz Ladies YouTube, Altcoin Buzz podcast or other social media channels, including but not limited to Twitter, Telegram chats, Instagram, Facebook, website, etc. is not financial advice. This information is for educational, informational and entertainment purposes only. Any information and advice or investment strategies are thoughts and opinions only relevant to accepted levels of risk tolerance of the writer, reviewer or narrator, and their risk tolerance may be different than yours. We are not responsible for your losses. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are high risk investments. So please do your due diligence and consult a financial advisor before acting on any information provided. Copyright Altcoin Buzz, PTE Limited, all rights reserved.